You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Face, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney, and Snarky Faith is radio for the spiritually disenfranchised. If you've had enough of the insanity of Christianity, you've come to the right place. Here at Snarky Faith, we're all about finding a sane faith grounded in reality and working to make the world a better place in tangible ways. This is not a zone for spiritual escapism. Sunday school answers are Christianese. We're here to call it religious BS and look for better ways forward. If you can handle your conversations about faith with copious amounts of sarcasm and also a little bit of this, then you've come to the right place. Welcome home. So on today's show, I will be sitting down with Rabbi Brian to talk about what does faith look like outside the box, outside of institutional religion. So yes, it will. it is a fun conversation that I know you're going to love. I know you're going to love. And before we descend into more snark, just a reminder that this broadcast and all past podcasts can be found at snarkyfaith.com and wherever else you listen to podcasts. We are... On Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube, we're there, we're everywhere. Just look for Snarky Faith. And if you like the show, make sure to share, subscribe, and if you're feeling generous, drop us a review. It helps to get the word out to new listeners. If you want to interact more with the show, you can find Snarky Faith over on Facebook. You can drop me a line at questions at snarkyfaith.com. And there's even a snarky hotline that if you want to, you can leave a message. That'll probably end up on the air. The number is 919-525-1570. It's 919-525-1570. So, all right, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that this show is going to be full of a lot of goodness today and at least starting off on a bit of a <laughs> on a bit of a, let's let's go for more hopeful than snark for a bit. We'll have snark, but just we'll go here. So my question for you is what's good in your world this week? I want to know, because I feel like oftentimes when we talk about what's going good in our lives, it can kind of help other people realize there's good stuff happening, because sometimes it doesn't always feel like there's good stuff happening. So, hey, I'll start. I'll start this whole process. So, me. Well, uh, over the last weekend, I had my 22nd uh, wedding anniversary to a girl that I met when I was 16. And Miriam is the most amazing thing in my life and continues to be such as my life progresses and moves on, I, I can't imagine a better person to be riding shotgun with uh, than her. And, and as part of that, one, one thing I think I mentioned a few weeks back, we kind of tried to turn something that was difficult into something that's a lot more fun. So it was probably back in, a few months back, our, my son wrecked our second car. So for a little while, we were hobbling around with one car looking to try to figure out, hey, how do we how do we stay financially responsible and do something that makes sense? And so we looked around and didn't want to go into debt. And I ended up we ended up actually going down this really obscure path that kind of ended up being really fun in the process. And we're still in the process of this. But what ended up happening was uh, we wanted to get her a car, just kind of a commuter car for work. She doesn't drive that far for work. Uh, something that's good on gas. Uh, but also the thing would be something that I can I can work well on. The newer cars, as they get more and more electronic, my my uh, handymanness uh, tends <laughs> tends to run thin. So we ended up buying this. This is crazy. So both Miriam and I graduated uh, high school in 1996. So it's going to date us severely right here. So yes, 1996, and got married uh, after college in 1999. And we bought a 1997 Honda Civic that had been owned by, like, older people for much of its life and and have been working on restoring it to its good self. Um, It was already mechanically pretty decent. And so we kind of went through and for 
which is kind of an anniversary present and a fun present too. Uh, we got the car painted and we're redoing the interior on it. So it's been like a fun family thing that I, I've kind of like watching evolve and it's been something fun for my wife to see like, oh, hey, this is a fun car that we're kind of customizing somewhat for her. So that's good in my life. What's good in your life? Seriously, I threw this out over on the Facebook page and I want to know because I, I love hearing good stuff that's happening in other people's lives because there's a lot of craziness that's happening all around the world consistently on a basis. And I think we need to be encouraging and, and talking about good stuff too. Talking about plenty of good stuff because today I will be sitting down with Rabbi Brian and we're going to talk about lots of good stuff and and really the freedom of, of being able to walk things out even if that, that road takes you out of institutionalized religion. So we have a very beautiful conversation about that. But you've also come to watch a show called Snarky Faith. And within that, you have to assume, especially if this is one of your first times, that there will be an insane amount of snark on this show. Well, yes, 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 there will be. Well, not insane amount today. Because we actually get into a, a really fun, genuine conversation with, with Rabbi Brian that I really, really enjoyed. But before we get to that... We here on Sarky Faith like to point out the craziness, the insanity of Christianity, the choices cuts from Christian nuts that we like to call the Christian crazy of the week, where we're able to mock and make fun of <laughs> what's wrong with Christianity because it just keeps putting it out there. It's just like serving it up. Hey, I like the volley, so I'm going to hit it back. So here we go for the Christian crazy of the week. If loving the Lord is wrong, I don't want to be right. Lord, have mercy. The Lord is my shepherd. He know what I want. So with time being a bit limited this week, because we've got a great interview in store for you, I'm going to condense and focus the Christian crazy essentially into just why Stuart is going to hell for having the Christian crazy in the show. That's really simply how I'm going to condense this down. Now, if you want more crazy, if you want more crazy, and you're listening over terrestrial radio here in Chapel Hill and Carborough, you're going to have to go and listen to the show via podcast, via anywhere you find podcasts, via snarkyfaith.com, because, because at the end of this broadcast, there's going to be bonus, bonus crazy that didn't make it into the show this week. <laughs> so much crazy. But again, back to my main point. Why is Stuart going to hell? Why? Why? Why is God going to call me an abomination? Why is gonna God going to strike me with some sort of horrible disease? Well, it's because I poke fun and I mock the prophets. Because I honestly believe my faith calls me to mock these prophets. But <laughs> in full mocking fashion, let us, let us hear. Let us cast an open ear to Hank Kuhneman. Hank Kuhneman, who's very upset with mouthpieces like mine, who are out there spouting that really the stuff he's talking about is total bullshit and nonsense. So, hey, Hank, tell me why you don't like me calling out your bullshit nonsense. Huh? 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 There's a lot of people touching many of God's true and choice servants right now. So by touching, you mean, I've touched your heart, Hank? You feel convicted? We touched you? Oh, wait, you mean it kind of in the creepy pedophile version? What do you even touch? No, we're calling your ass out. Continue. They better be careful because God will not acknowledge certain things that he's called them to or put within their office. It's a dangerous place. Okay? And some of you might get leprosy. You got to love, you got to love his like biblical dig with that to where like, oh, you're going to get leprosy because you're speaking out against God's prophet. No, <laughs> just calling out BS, Hank, just calling out BS, Hank. But I appreciate how much you lovingly are wishing leprosy upon me because I honestly don't care because all of this, all of this is deflection. This is deflection of the highest. These are these fake wannabe prophets that continue to say, listen to me, Trump will be back. What, could there be more? Oh, Robin Bullock? Oh, Robin Bullock's going to threaten me too. So, Robin. It's a dangerous thing to tear the garment of a prophet. That's a dangerous thing to mock the mouthpiece of God. It's very dangerous to do such a thing as that. 
very dangerous. So you mean dangerous, like mocking prophets, like kind of saying that Robin Bullock looks like an 80s hairband reject wannabe that continues to wear his leather jacket and dyed black hair that's long as he preaches because he thinks he's still on the cool side, right? He's on the cool side because he's a greaser and edgy and a prophet. That would kind of be mocking, but, you know, I mean, if I'm going to be called out for mocking i might as well mock the fact that you look like a fool yeah once that happens it leads to one thing it leads to insanity you better watch taking hold of a prophet's robe you better you better you better wish to god that your fingers had grabbed something else you should have put your fingers over your own mouth before you ripped a prophet's robe because once you ripped a prophet's robe, a pronouncement comes from heaven and says, Today, all your domain is rent from your hands. You know what sets guys like this apart? You know, some of it, it's the theatrics. I love how they speak in like KJV lingo here. Your domain will be taken from you. And I'm like, what? Snarkyfaith.com? My domain? What? No. Oh, we're just kind of giving Old Testament. Old Testament threats. Don't touch my garment, bitch, or I'm going to cut you. You remember this. And you call to the Lord and ask him to show honor on you again by you worshiping him. Because it's not me. It's the anointing he placed on me. It's not these other prophets. It's the anointing he placed on the other prophets. It's not just us. It's because we live by every word that comes out of his mouth. <laughs> sure you do. Sure you do. You live by every word that comes out of his mouth. Actually, honestly, if these are the types of prophets that represent the God of the universe, I would just say good luck with that. Call me pagan. Call me by your name. Call me whatever you want to. But seriously, don't call me a Christian if these a-holes are what it means to be Christian. And we become a mouthpiece. You better watch it. You better watch it. If you're plotting a prophet's downfall, you have dug a pit that you will fall in. <gasps> if you are plotting a prophet's downfall, you've rolled a stone that will roll back over you again. Oh, no. If you're plotting that, you remember something. Yes. You're in the fringes of insanity. Ooh. And everything you know will be rent from your hands. Oh, no. Wake up and hear it. I'm awake now, Robin. I'm awake. <laughs> Jeez, what a tool. <laughs> what a tool this guy is. But again, I love what they're doing here. They're kind of like, hey, instead of us going on defense, let's go on offense. And instead of everyone else, you know, people are out there calling us out because we got profiting wrong. We said something was going to happen, but it didn't happen. But we keep telling people it's going to happen, and it all happens to do with our orange messiah. And, you know, mm, hey, guess what? It's all your fault. It's your fault, everyone else. That's a really kind of good defense. Like, oh, God just doesn't want you talking out against these weird heretics. But that's what we do at Starkey Faith. We call out these dumbasses of the faith. But you know who's not a dumbass? You know who actually is game for an interesting and honest and, and heartfelt conversation? That's Rabbi Brian. So we're going to go ahead and hop into our conversation with Rabbi Brian because I feel like that is going to be way more edifying than this fun mockery. So here we go. Well, today I'm here with Rabbi Brian Mayer. Um, Rabbi Brian helps people feel comfortable enough to question religion and to seek out their own understanding through mindfulness research and his own stories. Uh, he's the founder of Religion Outside the Box, a digital congregation, and he also uh, runs the popular The 77% Weekly Newsletter. Welcome, Rabbi Brian. Thank you. Thank you. Super, super glad to be here. Awesome. It's great to have you here on the show. Now, now, when I was doing a lot of research on you, that you, you have an interesting story that, that I'd like to kind of unpack a bit. Um, you know, you have been on a journey from being a high school math teacher um, after you left organized religion to yeah. then becoming a rabbi. So, so. Well, no, 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 no. So I was ordained as a rabbi. Yeah. Then I dropped out 
because I couldn't take it anymore. I uh, uh, didn't know what to do. And I took a job teaching high school math. And I was actually a better rabbi in that classroom than I ever was mm -hmm. as a rabbi because I was with my par parishioners an hour a day. Yeah. You know, uh, and then uh, then I went and I, I had a blog going and it got bigger. And then I went to religion outside the box full time. Nice, nice, awesome. Now, now what? Now, we kind of we kind of went through a large part of your journey very quickly. So yes. you know, <laughs> it took so a lot longer. It was, and it was probably a lot uh, uh, involving more heartache and sweat and tears and swearing and other things probably to process out. Uh, so what 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 led what led you in uh, to being a, a rabbi? What led you into that that organized religion? Yeah. What led you out? So there are two ways of answering that, and I think everyone has this, is that there's, there's the perspective from, like, why I think I'm doing it, looking forward, and then there's this perspective of looking back, like, oh, that's why I did that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the looking forward, why I became a rabbi, I, I thought it was a good, like, here's a good job I can do, and um, I can learn about Judaism, which I really didn't, like, I had about a fourth grade understanding of Judaism when I applied to rabbinical school, maybe seventh, eighth grade, like, not a, I, I knew I was Jewish, but I didn't, I didn't know the Talmud from the Mishnah from, I didn't know any of that stuff. Mm. So I applied, went to rabbinical school, um, always thought I was going to drop out. And then uh, I got all the way through rabbinical school, got the job as a rabbi, worked there for a while. And then then left so that's looking this way looking backwards at it um it's you would be less inclined to interview my me about my views about religion unless i had been ordained as a rabbi mm. mm -hmm. so it there's there's a credentialing kind of like a i don't want to compare myself well why don't i compare myself to picasso and Jimi hendrix i think we should like yeah, <laughs> you have to know how to do it straight before you do it um, in, in a new way. Mm. No, I like that. I like that. And because I no, I feel like that that's that's good because I feel like that was that's a lot of my process. I think of anytime you go through that of learning and then kind of deconstructing and walking through things. I mean, I think that the yeah. even though it's it's not fun to go through the process, it, it's still very formative. And, and, it, and, it's, yeah. and it's exactly what brings us here today with all of our <laughs> smiles and scars and everything else. Yeah. Um, with that, and it, and it seems like for you, asking why has yeah. been a big part of your story. So for you, like, what's that value of asking questions and wrestling well, that, and doubt? That's, um, so culturally, Judaism is much better at question asking than a lot of other uh, mainstream religions. We 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 thrive on it. It's a it's a thing. Judaism in our in our holy texts in our in have held on to minority opinions. Like, and and you can quote the guy who lost the argument 1500 years ago and use that as a proof text um, where you're allowed to do that. So uh, that's not answering your question about asking why, though. So I just it's it's about asking and, and we're good with that. And another thing about Judaism, which I didn't realize was so special until after because mm. you grow up in something, you, you're like, this is what everyone does. Um, you don't, Judaism is fine if you question God or if you don't even believe in God. It's, it, it's perfectly admissible. It's fine. It's it, like nobody cares. Mm. So asking questions and, uh, and then questioning the answers you get and turning it over and turning it over and turning it over until you, you have a sense of what it is because you've questioned it enough. Mm. Mm. That is, that's one thing that I've always appreciated about Judaism, that that for me, coming from more of a, uh, I mean, I probably grew up around a evangelical conservative background when I was younger as well, yeah. to where that, that, that's, that's a background that, that thrives in certainty. Um, yeah. you know, everything is about, we know exactly this. And if you don't believe that, the questions are what either, what get you tossed out. Like the questions mean right. that you, you need to go. And um, that, that's a, that that you you know that can mess you up <laughs> yes it does it definitely messes you up and it makes it really hard to leave mm -hmm. because and here's your community here's everyone you know and if you question you have to leave your community mm -hmm. that's awful mm -hmm. so i'm i'm sorry that that was done 
Yeah, like, it is. It is. But but I think but but I also love being able to see the better ways of doing certain things too, which I think also you've had the ability to step outside to be able to see the good um, that yeah. goes on in other places as well too. Yeah. So when I when I taught math, right, I wasn't working as a rabbi, and I got to interact with uh, my last job teaching math. Math was actually at a Catholic high school, so I, I got a completely. I got to learn a lot about Catholicism. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm sure that was an education in itself, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like we went over one day in our staff training, it was um, we went over the different virtues, and one of them was the virtue of obedience. And I said, I raised my hand. I'm like, why is obedience one of the virtues? Mm -hmm. And basically the answer was, Brian, you failed. Like you don't <laughs> ask. <laughs> as soon as you asked about it, you're out. Like they, they put up with me. We did really well together. Now, now, what else is like after after leaving organized religion? What what has changed in you after walking into this new digital space? Well, I, I started. Um, I think that there, there's a quote that says, "In order, uh, if you want to start a group, you need a resentment and a coffee pot." Mm. So I left, and I was uh, snarky. Can I use your title? I was snarky fine, and yeah. pissed off at like, this is, oh, also I found out pissed off is a curse in some people's languages. I didn't know that. that no, and, see, and, pissed off won't get you, won't get you bleeped around here. So you got to get okay, hit, good. deeper so waters. I, I was, I was pissed at organized religion. And then it took a, it took years for me to, to start seeing that, you know, religion, Scott, it's, it's does a lot of good for a lot of people and let's not throw the whole thing away. Mm. Um, yeah, granted, and I, I've seen and I've heard some of what you're talking about. Some of it is about passing the altar plate and, and continuing the institution, which is is problematic. But like, th there's there's a lot of good that organized religion does, and I don't want to I don't want to cancel that out. Mm -hmm. Now, no, no, let's unpack this a bit. Like, what um, you yeah. talk about religion outside the box? It's your your yeah. your, your your digital online congregation. Yeah. What is it? What does it look like? How did it so, begin? Yeah, talk a little of that. I, I started sending early before blogs. I sent emails to uh, like 50 people of here, here are my, here's what I'm thinking about these days. And people would respond and then it became a blog and then it became a newsletter in 2005. And since then I've been sending out a newsletter 40 out of 52 weeks a year um, because I took the last Monday of the month off. I was like, you can get a newsletter from me every week, except I I need to model um, non-perfection. Mm -hmm. I need to model time off. So it, it came out of necessity. So people get the newsletter. It's called the 77% weekly because it's 40 out of 52 weeks a year. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's the main way that I communicate with people is mm -hmm. through a newsletter. And if people want to respond, they can. We just started an online digital platform where it's a, like a yay mighty network kind of uh, thing. So people can log in and now talk to each other mm -hmm. in a way without having to involve me. And then I started a service uh, a Saturday morning. It's called the Saturday service. And that, that was hard to figure out how to do a service that doesn't, it's non-liturgical. There's no dogma. There's no and services are really good. You get a, one person talking to a whole group, telling them what to believe. And what I do, and I love Zoom, is everyone's mics are unmuted. And we have, it's Socratic method of, uh, we're, we're talking about self-kindness. That's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. And uh, we're talking about learning and how, how do we learn to be kind to ourselves. And we, we're really right now fascinated with, and as a community, where the services I facilitate it with my excellent skills as a as a, if you can teach high school math to kids who don't want to learn high school math, you can facilitate a group of adults. And we're looking at why are we kinder to someone else who would be in our exact same circumstance mm -hmm. than we are to ourselves when we're in our own circumstance. Mm -hmm. And I don't have an answer to that one quite yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I, but I love that, that you're able to leave that. I, like you said, the Socratic method, that this kind of, it's open source, that you're all adding to this. You're all debating yeah. this. You're all wrestling with this together. Like, yeah, and I, I, I'm i definitely the ringleader, and I got some skills, and uh, um, I helped the conversation along, and we, we, but it's not, it's not, 
let's look at this biblical story. It's, it's let's look at our own lives because religion's about how to, I quote Prince, you know, dearly beloved, we're gathered here to get through this thing called life. Mm-hmm. And I have a quote uh, that I, I've been playing with recently and I don't have it perfect yet, but we seem to have all colluded that somehow in the past, God made a better connection with humanity than God's doing today. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we assume we should emulate and do what the people in the past did to hopefully get a glimpse of the divine. Mm-hmm. And that's nutto. Yeah. Because God has to be in the here and now, mm-hmm. not why would God be more thrilled with me saying something in ancient Aramaic mm-hmm. to try that? That doesn't work. So I'm, I'm, you know, Ram Das be here now kind of how, how do we, how do we deal with life here? Mm. No, I love that because that was one thing I always remember wrestling with because I was a kid that, that asked too many questions in, in the circles I was in too. Yeah. You know, the idea that like, even within Christianity, like, so God just quit speaking like 2000 or more years ago, like we were done like that or, or, you know, or, yeah. or our only perspectives of God happened during the bronze age, you know, <laughs> and like, and, 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 and it's never progressed. Like everything else in life has progressed or, or yeah. we've wrestled differently, but no, it ended there. So, so yeah. organized religion always has this problem of mm-hmm. if you say that God's revelation is how do you protect your hegemony over mm-hmm. the divine and this is what God wants? Mm-hmm. We have to say at some point, God stops speaking to people. Yeah. And it, the, most, the, the most recent example that I can point at is with Joseph Smith and the Mormons. Mm-hmm. Like, so if God spoke to Joseph Smith, why can't I say God spoke to me too? Well, mm-hmm. because God, God said, no, that's it, I'm done. Yeah. And in Jewish tradition, we, we end it with Malachi. Malachi is the last mm-hmm. prophet, the rabbis say, who God spoke to. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, who the hell came up with that rule? And, and uh, you know, so I think we came up with that rule so we could exclude Jesus from being a prophet, which I think was a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. I know it was a huge mistake in, in Judaism was to, Jesus was probably the most perfect Jew there, there was, and then we we wrote them like that was a bad marketing decision. Even, even, even though I feel like organized religion does does their marketing to make sure that you exclude things as a marketing decision too. Well, that yeah. I mean, and, not, and not that, a true thing, but a marketing thing. Yeah, <laughs> let's talk about that. Yeah, is that in order to have a sense of group, mm-hmm. have a sense of us, going back to the coffee pot and the resentment, the easiest way to have an us is to have a we're not them. And as soon as we do that, we start to figure out more and more how we're not them. Mm-hmm. And we start to um, not vilify, but we start to stereotype them in a way and dehumanize them mm-hmm. because they're not the us. Mm-hmm. And religion can't do that. I mean, it can, it does, but that doesn't make sense. No, I agree with you. It, it doesn't, and it shouldn't make sense, even though it continues to happen. Yeah. Can I? And I, I'm going to quote Alan Watts, who not, he was in the in the late '60s. He was the unguru of gurus at the time, and he said something, and it it I wanted to bring this up with talk with you, because he said that he was an Anglican priest, and he 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 stopped, and he became this unguru guru, and he said um, he said he sees his job not as a minister, but as a physician, where a physician's job is to heal someone so that they go away. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And where a minister's job is to get, classically, Mm -hmm. is to get more and more people to join, thereby underlying how true their faith is. Mm -hmm. Because now we have 501 people in in the congregation. That doesn't mean it's true. Yeah. Just means you have an extra person. But people seem to have this idea that the more people, the more true it is. Mm -hmm. And then we can pay for the boiler and we can get a larger steeple on the top of the building. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it is. It's it's because of how we've we've organized things. And I feel like that how that we've seen things 
become more and more commercialized um, yeah. as things have moved forward with that. But, but and let me add let me add in another piece uh, to be sympathetic to organized religion. It's really hard, and I'll speak for for Judaism. I don't know how to translate this exactly for other ones, but when when I was working as a rabbi in a congregation, I could look out from the pulpit and see how many people were moving their lips at the right time for the Hebrew, mm-hmm. and I could see how many people bowed their knees at the right point of the right prayers, and I could judge all that and it was a metric that i could make sense of and not only could i get the number of members but i could see how quote jewishly these people are how jewishy these people are and that was that's easy to measure Mm -hmm. measuring how connected to themselves how connected they are to others how at peace they are with when shit goes bad Mm -hmm. that's hard to measure and so I think it's just, it's also out of convenience. And let me add one other thing. The people who go to seminary tend to be the people who drank the Kool-Aid in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so they already believe it by the time they get into school. Mm-hmm. And then they get to school and school pr- promulgates that this is the way and this is what everyone should be doing. And it makes it hard for people in the pews to feel like, I don't believe all that. Mm-hmm. There's something wrong with me because the I, I don't have that perfect faith that the person in the front's doing, or I, I don't do all the I don't I don't do all the right rituals. It's it's hard. It, you're right. It's hard because I feel like it's it's all about what metrics that we're measuring. And yeah. you know, and depending on the metrics what we measure also is gonna say something about what we value. So um, here I, I got the challenge of all right, Brian, someone said to me. As a guy who I went to school with from first to 12th grade. So I know this guy well, and he's a he's now a systems analyst and does all this like stuff I don't even I don't understand. He said, So how are you measuring your Saturday services success? I said, Well, the easiest thing would be to n- dollars in the donation or the number of people who show up to the service, but I don't want to measure either of those things. So he helped me to figure and here are the two things that I'm thinking are are my quality control that I three mm-hmm. things how calm I am before the service and during the service. Mm. Because the less calm I am, the worse that service was. Mm. The second one is how many families are showing up. Mm -hmm. I give myself extra credit when a kid and a parent both show up to my service. Because the kids, like the kid doesn't need to show up. Sure. And that the kids want to show up and talk. That's a, that's my second metric. And my third metric is like sneaky, but I love it. And this one gives me the, is the number of clergy people who show up to my service. Yes. And and, and they don't all identify themselves. And if, if you watch very carefully on Zoom, you'll see when they log on, it will say Reverend Tara. And then she'll quickly change her name just to be Tara. Um that's not. That's a made-up name. That's not actually a person there. But I actually know who Reverend Tara is, so I'm going to report her. I'm going to report. She's her. awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> no, so that those are my matrices yeah. for right now. Sure. Yeah. But those are not your standards. Those aren't. Uh, oh, and Alex does agile. I don't know what that is, but that's his kind of analysis stuff that he does. It just came back to me. No, no, I, I no, I, I appreciate that because you are right about that and stuff that I've done outside. The church, I even, you know, not not on to the scale of what you've done, but even it was a couple months back, I was bored in pandemic and just sent out, hey, I want to go through this book. Who wants to just join me online? Mm-hmm. Whoever. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think over half the group are people that are pastors or ex-pastors that through the yeah. conversations are like, I can have conversations here in this group, but I know that if I if people knew I was in this group, I would be fired you know, type of situations like that. And it wasn't like we're saying, we're not doing anything. We're not plotting anything or doing anything ridiculous. We're just wrestling with doubt. Um, (gasps) I've run, I've run three different clergy support groups. It's I've done it three different times. And my rule for the clergy support group has been, if you are the first one of your denomination to join the group, Mm-hmm. I will not allow anyone else from your denomination into the group without your permission. Mm. Because I wanted people to be able to be 
completely open. I wanted clergy to be able to be completely open without the fear that you're going to run into someone at a convention who heard that you said this thing. Yeah. It's it, being a clergy person is rough. There's there's a a group think that is really hard to 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 feel your footing that you cannot do what the group is doing. It, it can it can it can end up messing very deeply with your psyche, especially you know, yeah. and, and the fact to where one one of the things at least I've I've known working and I've worked in many different denominations within Christianity. I was always trying to find like which one makes more sense uh, yeah. until I kind of found myself just outside of it all. And but but one of the things that you know that I've I, I see about pastors is there there is such just a fear of of stepping outside. There's a fear of asking questions. There's a fear of growth that, that, that goes underground and it never gets, and it never gets wrestled out. Even with the congregation, they need this kind of stuff, you know, but yeah. Stuart, here's a sad truth of it. If I'm bringing in money for my family doing this job and I have very few other skills uh, I'm stuck. Yeah. And that's some ugliness and it's really rough. Yes. It is. And yeah, they it, could always go and teach math also. We always need math teachers. That's <laughs> why I taught math, actually. It was the reason I taught math. What, what, yeah, what did I do after what did I do after I taught? So yeah, that's the same thing too. So it is, yeah, it is, yeah. I, I did yeah. math because I knew I could get a job teaching math because mm-hmm. with the title rabbi on my resume, I needed to teach something that they were desperate for a teacher. Yeah. What'd you teach? Uh, ESL. So I was an ESL teacher. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. So how yeah. old? Um, how old? Oh, I actually did it. Uh, anything from I worked. I I still do it some too. I work with a, a company that it's people in Southeast Asia. So anything uh-huh. from adults to kids. Um, okay. Just sitting That's down a, with wow. them. That's a range. Um, it, it's a juggling. It's a juggling match, but it you know it's it works. It works. And you know I found teaching. I found. And I, I mentioned that I was a better minister, a better rabbi. There was I learned the importance of patience Mm -hmm. and the importance of boosting people's confidence Mm -hmm. and keeping people. And here's where religion fucks up big Mm -hmm. time. Make sure to bleep that. (laughs) Um, But religion causes shame. Yes. Yes. And if you want people to grow, whether or not religion wants people to grow, if you want people to grow, people do not grow in shame. Mm -hmm. It's just a fact. And I learned that while teaching. I, no, I think that, that is an excellent point that I've, I don't think I'd ever really fully recognize that because you're right. I mean, one aspect of, of learning to teach, you are, you're able to, to descend into the whole encouragement of, of, of the individual towards right. learning. And that involves, that involves failure. And right, 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 right. That's the whole Brene Brown about courage. Yeah. It, you have, and how do you encourage someone? And the best way that I know is for me to put my heart out there first Mm -hmm. and that I make mistakes and let them see I make mistakes and then allow them to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. I would often say to the classes, like I write something and I mess up the formula on the board because I make, and I would always say, look, if you're nice to me when I make a mistake, it's going to be a lot easier for me to be kind to you when you make one. Love it. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and so a lot of the students I, I teach are from mainland China. Uh-huh. And, and what, what's actually, you mentioning this kind of like flicked this off in my brain where I was just kind of like, how often do we, so, so much of their um, educational style is just through rote learning. Like yeah, you, you memorization. Just, memorization, memorization, memorization is that, that, that getting something wrong is, involves shame like you're mentioning too. Yeah. And, and so it makes people very hard and it's very difficult for people to learn English if they're not willing to make mistakes because you want to always speak perfectly. It would just silence you. But in the same way, that's, I feel like what we've done that in many organized religions, yeah. we've, we've silenced people to where they don't know how to ask questions. They just right. try to copy and mimic. Now, now you mentioned that you were, you, you've worked with people that, that pastors support groups and others yeah. that, that are kind of walking outside the, the realms of organized religion. Um, in that process, especially as we're talking about teaching, when you kind of move outside of organized religion, there, there's a process of almost needing to help people unlearn things. 
Oh, that's the first thing people need to that do. have done. That. Yeah. So I was wanting to see what, what, yeah, what are things that you see that people needing to unlearn things? I teach. So I do it meta style and I teach people about unlearning mm -hmm. and I talk to them about here's a here's a great big concept. And once you get this one, it un unlocks a lot. Is there are two different ways we learn? There are the things that are taught and there are the things that are caught. Hmm. The things that are taught are the times tables. Mm -hmm. You're taught to do that. You're taught where to put the fork next to the knife, next to the spoon on top of the napkin on the left side of the plate. You're taught that. Mm -hmm. Caught is the stuff that you learned that nobody taught you. Like in the elevator, you know to turn around and face the door. Mm -hmm. Or you know when you're eating with someone, and, and you're you're not supposed to eat the food off of their plate, or you're not supposed like you know uh, how close you're supposed to be physically to somebody, and that's just cultural. The things that are caught, and a lot of our theology is not taught; it is caught. Mm -hmm. A lot of the things that are caught, caught is harder to unlearn mm -hmm. because we don't even know that we learned it. Mm -hmm. So when I'm trying to help people with, with their theology is to say, a lot of what you know, you don't even know why you know it. And let's take this apart and let's look at it. And I show people, here are the four most common things that people use when they say God, when they use the word God here. Do you know these ones this is from Baylor University 2006? They came up with, so it, it, listeners, try try best visually to think of the letters, do them vertically, A, B, C, and D. If you go A, B, C, and D, those are the four different notions of God that we were all caught, that we all got. A is authoritarian. Mm -hmm. I'll go back to them in a second. B is benevolent. Mm -hmm. C is critical. D is distant. Let's go back up to the top. The authoritarian God, we just learn. That's Zeus. My kids came home and they told me about God was going to be. I was like, who told you? Where did you <laughs> get this? And that that's just, that's a thought about God. And once I show people that that's, that's not necessarily what you believe. It's just what you, you've absorbed. B is benevolent. That's Santa Claus is God. God loves you no matter what. That's, and I've done this really fun exercise with people where I say, all right, there are 39 similarities between God and Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. And let's look at them so you can start to see that they're not one and the same. Mm -hmm. And then C is critical. Critical is God is the great vice principal yep. where God <laughs> says, oh, you said the F word on radio. We will talk about that later. Yeah. And that is not anything that you were taught. You just somehow got an amalgam. And D is, I live out in Portland, Oregon, where this is our God the most, is the distant God where mm -hmm. God's like, smoking a doobie and not having anything really to do with reality anymore, um, set things in motion. So we didn't, we didn't get taught those things, but once you can see them, you can start to unlearn them and realize those aren't, those are no more real than what you might think about God mm -hmm. or what you, what, what resonates to your soul. Mm -hmm. I kind of got a little teachy there. I apologize. No, I like it. I like it. But speaking about this, because you're talking about God, one of the acronyms you also like to use if we're on the the uh, the road of acronyms is the G-O-D acronym, the God of your understanding. I, more about I do that. that. Yeah. Yes. So I picked up the phrase, the God of your understanding in 12-step rooms, is that, that there's no God. There's the God of our understanding. Mm -hmm. And then often I'll talk about the G-O-D word, mm -hmm. because if I talk about God, there's a whole set of baggage. But if yeah. I just say God hyphen, whatever you use that word to mean, it loosens it up. And then we don't, I just got, I just got called. Um, somebody told me, they said, uh, Rabbi, when you say the G-O-D word, that makes it sound like the N word or the C word, <laughs> a word we're not supposed to use. I was like, oh, that was so not my intention, but all right. It no, works though. <laughs> yeah. God, works. Yeah. I, I think we need to, uh, loosen up our, our language. Now, when we talk about that loosening up our language, what for you in this process, how has your understanding of God evolved? Oh, a lot. Um, I knew I didn't, I knew the God I didn't believe in for a really long time. 
uh, but nobody had given me like Octavia Butler's definition, like God is change. Mm. Nobody had given me an idea of, of uh, predicate theology that God is a verb and we God in the world. Mm. No one had given me this idea of Martin Buber that God is in the relationship we have with each other and with the world. Like there are some awesome ideas of God, that God is just above our understanding. Mm -hmm. Like, there are some great, these ones are, the one that I came to, and I haven't seen this much, was that I'm I'm playing with a God of limited, um, limited um, potency, I'm not getting that word right, but anyway, I had a very dear friend die uh, mm-hmm. when I was, she, she, she got to 44 years old and just she had her pancreas and one of the most beautiful souls, love of my life. And she died and I got pissed at God again because I don't know where else to put my anger. Mm-hmm. And I had this thought and I know exactly the corner I was walking where I was and I thought, well, maybe God's upset too. Maybe God says, oh, shit, we missed that one. And that's a God I can get behind Mm -hmm. where God's not, where God's upset about the stuff that happens also. I think that that also gives us room. I feel feel like that gives us room to be more human as well. Yes, (laughs) that's it. We are human. Mm -hmm. We can strive. Our ideals are higher than us by design. We're never going to get there, but we're not. And and if God isn't perfect, how could I don't have to be perfect? Mm-hmm. And also, this like y'all Christians messed this one up so bad <laughs> that that we are the this original yeah. sin doctrine Oof. that uh, Augustine came up with, and he he was an upset, angry man. Yes, um, don't listen to upset people. Mm-hmm. There, there's you're no one's broken. We're not broken to begin with. That doesn't make any bit of sense. And then I always said this is, um, hey, Augustine, if your notion is that Jesus died for our sins, Mm -hmm. how am I still broken then? Mm -hmm. Did Jesus not do a good enough job or is your philosophy fucked? Mm -hmm. Sorry. No, you're no, you're good. No, no, speak it. That thinking has really messed up so many people. It just chaps me, and it, it it breaks my heart that so many people can be so burned by just some... It's not in the Bible. The Bible never says that humanity has original sin. Not that the Bible's the be-all, end-all. No, no, end no, but it's funny. It's, so much say. of it is... It's, it's, but it's in the heading in Genesis, you know? So they'll literally put that in the headings in certain Bibles, you know, but it's it's in a heading in, that did not yeah. exist. And yes, I, no, I agree. I, I remember that was one of the things... I remember going, seminary for me was wonderful in the fact that it messed me up for ever wanting to work and organize religion because it, uh-huh. it allowed me to play with questions. It allowed me to run into these areas. Yeah. And it was fun because I was able to watch, talking about things like original sin, watch other pastors lose their minds and then yeah. and then watch them run to their own coping mechanisms to kind of just like, yeah. okay, I'll just, I'll leave this here and I'll run away from this as quick as I can in this class. So <laughs> I'll add another thing about seminary mm-hmm. is that seminary's job is to create machinable parts Mm -hmm. to make a pastor, to make a rabbi who can then fill in at that next congregation the same way that the last one did, kind of, sort of, with slight variations. Mm -hmm. That's not singing God a new song. No. That's not cool. That's, that's, all right, um. Can't, uh, yes. Okay. I'm gonna. I'm gonna Beautiful. No. 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 So. So. As. As we're. As, I, I want to kind of get to just a few more questions before we end this interview here yeah. for you. And this is really just kind of digging into just kind of with you. With you. What's now? What? What? Now? What is challenging you these days? What's something that's challenging you just in the existence of where we're at in history and life and everything else? How do we get? The people who are in power tend to be assholes mm-hmm. because they're the ones who want power to soothe their brokenness. Mm-hmm. And I don't get how we fix that. Mm-hmm. I don't get how we 
I don't. That's where I'm. Oh, I'm stuck right now. Mm-hmm. Is the because I don't want to be president. Yep. I'm not qualified at all, and I think anyone who thinks they're qualified should not be allowed to be that job. Like, there's something wrong with you. The, all presidents have been like you go through it with a therapist. They say they're all narcissists. Yeah. Of course they are. Mm-hmm. I, I don't get the system right now. And the other piece I, I'll put next to that is why, why have we made it that loving people is analogous to having a mental disorder or being stupid? Mm-hmm. That's just dumb. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I, I, that's just dumb. The, the, and we have, and that's also, that goes back to caught. No one told you that, but if you see someone who's having a good day, there's just this thought in your head, like what's wrong with them? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's just goofy. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now, now from the challenging, now I want to know what's, what's giving you hope and what's feeding you. I, um, so my, my best buddy, Larry, he's a retired disciples of Christ minister. His birthday's tomorrow. He's 84 years old tomorrow. Happy birthday, Larry. <laughs> uh, he, he said about hope. I had a really bad, like, hey, we all had a really rough year. Yeah. And my family sent me away. They're like, why don't you take a weekend away? And I was like, I don't need it. They're like, no, we need you to go away. Mm. So I went away and I called Larry on my bike ride to the, my Airbnb a few miles from my house. I said, listen, professor, you got to help me out here. Um, I have no hope. I don't have hope anymore. And he said, Brian, did you choose to call me? I'm like, yeah, Larry. Like, what the hell's wrong? <laughs> like, I just called you. I just told you I need hope. He said, you chose to call me. Yeah. He said, well, then choose hope. Hmm. Hope is a decision. Hope is a decision. You decide, much like an incision is a cutting in, a decision to have hope. And he said this. He said, I would rather have hope and be wrong than not have hope and always be right. Hmm. And so what's giving me hope is the idea that hope can be chosen. Hmm. It's not pretty will go wrong a lot, but it's something that I can choose to do most days. Well, and, and it's, and it's, you're right. It's, it's a verb. It's an action as opposed to just hoping in something that yeah. we have no hands in, you know, at all. Cause that, that, that can lead us to just being crazy all the time too. So I hope the situation will change, but I have nothing to do with it, but I really hope this situation yeah, we got to get involved. Once we're there's, engaged, it changes. There's things. a great Jewish uh, phrase from Rabbi Tarfan. He was back in the day. Jesus is back when then. And he said about um, getting involved or not getting involved. He said, you are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to desist from it. Mm-hmm. You can't fix this world. You can't fix this world, Stuart but neither are you free to not try. Mm. Mm. And that helps me too, remembering that it's both. I can have hope and I can also have some despair that it ain't going to go as as I want it to. Oh, I love it. Those are some great words, Rabbi Brian. So how how do people find you online? If people say, hey, I want to check out this. Just type Rabbi Brian into your Google. And I have worked hard with the SEOs to, to be the most popular Rabbi Brian there is. And what about um, for religion outside the box? How do we find that? You'll find me there too. Okay. If you type in religion outside the box, rotb.org, but just type in Rabbi Brian, yeah. you'll find me. You get the newsletter. The newsletter comes, it's free and it's worth twice that. So that's <laughs> pretty cool. <laughs> well, Brian, I, I, I so much appreciate your time and your perspective today for being here on the show. This is, this has been a great conversation. Stuart, it has been fun. And uh, I'm, I, I didn't get a lot of snarky off of you but I still sure enjoyed it. Well, that's good. That's good. Well, I'd love to have you back someday too. uh, If you're up for it. it. Let's do it. Thank you, brother. All right. Thank you so much.
Much love and thanks to Rabbi Brian for being on the show today. And before I send you off, just a reminder to share the show, subscribe, and give Snarky Faith a review over on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the word out to new listeners. If you want to reach out to me directly, hit me up at questions at snarkyfaith.com. Thank you for being part of the show week after week. I appreciate all of you. And what I want to do, as we've kind of had this wonderful, fun ecumenical conversation, um, a conversation that really resonates the togetherness of where we're all at, meaning that I love how Rabbi Brian had put it, the God of your understanding. And the way that we understand, many of us understand God to be, is that God is leading us towards doing good in this world, towards healing broken things, towards leading us towards pathways of hope and newness and reconciliation, and I think, I think, especially as we begin to look at the crazies that we started off our show with and the Christian crazies, that really the job of people that follow after these ways of Jesus are to be people that follow out the ways of, of love and compassion and, and grace and acceptance because Folks, we are all in this together. That's the one thing I feel like that we we tend to forget about in the midst of all of this, that we are all in this together. We are all stuck on this planet. And hey, it'd be my hope that we can make people's lives better as we move forward, that we can become better and help others become better too. So as I release you into this wild, wide world, I send you out with the holiest amounts of grace and peace and snark. I'm out of here. I will catch you guys again next week. Peace. So now that you're hanging out here after hours, after hours and snarky faith. So, Oftentimes, we like to make fun of the people in the Christian crazy, and that's why you're still hanging around here for more of that. And is it fun? Sure. Is it low-hanging fruit? Maybe. But is there a purpose in all of it? Absolutely. Now, beyond just the humor of all of this, I think that what I, my point is, is really pointing out the absolute freaking insanity in people's arguments for where they are at within conservative and evangelical Christianity absolutely bonkers. Now, we... Well, no, go ahead. Case in point, number one, number one, number one. Let's listen to Andrew Womack. Andrew Womack, who is going to get as stupid and as... Andrew Womack is going to be Andrew Womack, because that's what he does. And what he's going to hear, he's going to give out some, some interesting information that is not only bigoted and hateful but it's obtuse and his head is far up his ass. And as much as he is worried about people dealing something in and around other people's asses, his head is right there right now. So let's listen to Andrew Womack try to talk about how somehow smoking cigarettes is better than being homosexual. Mmm. Loving in the name of Christ Oh, God, no. This is disgusting. He's a horrible person, and the fact that he calls himself a Christian is an abomination to begin with. But, hey, let's listen to it so I can make fun of it. Homosexuals have, like, uh, three times as much suicide as heterosexuals, and then you go into transgender, and it just continues to go up. It's mm. a very destructive lifestyle. He goes on to say more that is easily mockable, but my point here is why do people that especially young people that are growing up either gay or trans, why is there a higher suicide rate? Why? Because a lot of their families are like Andrew Womack, and they make people feel like they do not belong. They make people feel like they do not have a voice, they do not matter, and that they are broken fundamentally, and that they are just sinful as sinful can be. Because guess what? I, I've worked... I've worked I have worked, I did a lot of work with, uh, with youth that were kids that kind of were not church kids, like really lived on the streets and, and dealt with 
a lot of well, at-risk youth. I, w- I worked a lot with at-risk youth. And the organization I worked with, one thing that I commonly saw amongst trans and, and gay students were the fact that their families made them feel like garbage. Their families kicked them out. Their families called them names. Their families made them feel like they were trash and not made in the image of God. And people like Andrew Womack are exactly why that perpetuates itself. And it's disgusting and it's horrible. And I think it continues to need to be called out. It needs to be called out over and over and over again. So finishing out, finishing out some of the crazy, I've got, I've got, I've got Hank coming back. Hank's going to tell just a justifiably very layered story that is bizarre. And I'm going to go ahead and say he made a lot of this crap up because it just doesn't even make sense. But when you are around people that are part of this kind of cult of personality that believe this guy that seems confident on the stage that says God speaks to him and that, yeah, yeah. If you believe this craziness, you kind of are asking for the craziness that comes your way. Because this is sheer, sheer, sheer lunacy. Just listen to it. It's sheer lunacy. I will leave you with this. I will even let Hank have the last words because his last words are so friggin' insane. So just kind of figure out when you see the story starts going off the rails because it starts going off the rails right away. So, hey, here's your car wreck of the week. Be a Hank Kuhneman, and I'll catch you guys again next week. Another thing that I used to do to get to know the Holy Spirit is 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14 says, let the fellowship or the communication with the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's what Paul was addressing. And I would literally sit, uh, sit uh, put a chair in, and my spiritual mother, Germaine Saucier, said these words to me. She said, the more real you make God, the more real he would be to you. And I, I said, okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I am going to get to know the Holy Spirit. And I would literally open the car door for the Holy Spirit. You know, I was 20, 21, 22 years old, you know, before Brenda came. I figured I might as well get practice though, how to open a door up for someone you love and respect and open the door up. My neighbors would scream out, you are so weird. Is it your imaginary friend again? I said, yep, my imaginary friend is not imaginary. It's the Holy Ghost. I would let him come in and sit down. I would uh, go to a restaurant. They say, what would you like to eat? I would say, well, me and the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a little weird for maybe some of you, and I get it. But I was determined to make him real. I'm not saying you go and do that. That's a little bit, you know, there. Sorry, said I wasn't going to comment anymore, but really, really, really peddling this weird, weird, weird version of Christianity where somehow the weirder or more audacious or, like, culturally irrelevant you are somehow means that you're more godly in the fact of this as opposed to the fact that Hank Kuhneman is not pursuing the Holy Spirit. Hank Kuhneman is an insane human being that has a following. That's what that should tell you here. He's not overly holy. He's crazy. Don't believe me? Let me let you think about the rest of his story that he thinks is virtuous, but I say is absolutely friggin' nuts. I'll let him officially have the last word. I will speak no more. Hank, show us why you're crazy. Show us. But I was I would make him I would make him so real to me. Well, pastor, what was the benefit? Well, the same neighbors that would make fun of me, there was one that was getting pulled into a truck by two guys that were trying to kidnap her and rape her. And one morning, the Holy Spirit woke me up, and he said, go out now. And I went, I said, Lord, go out where? He said, go out front. And I went out, and as soon as I went out, they were getting ready to drag her. They were pulling her across her yard, and I spoke, and I said, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, let her go! And they dropped her. And I began to point my finger at him. And I said, you get out of here. And there was so much power. They were shaking as they left. And these are the folks. I know I said I wasn't going to say anymore. Sorry. I can't quit you. You guys are my habit. But these are the guys that like to say that doing drugs is wrong. And apparently Hank was on a lot of drugs in this situation. 
that Hank somehow thinks that because he was having invisible dates with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit called him out in the middle of the night because a woman was being carried but dragged and carried across her lawn. But when Hank yelled about Jesus, they dropped her, even though they were dragging her, but kind of carrying her, but dragging her. And amen. Amen. Does any of this sound reasonable? No. And I just, my, my, last, my last call for this show today is for us to just recognize this. Following God doesn't have to be insane. It doesn't have to be crazy. It doesn't have to be countercultural. It honestly really just needs to be caring and loving and compassionate and empathetic and decent. It's not about any of these kind of miraculous BS stories that he is making up and telling here. To follow after God, to follow after the heart of Christ, which is just to go and help people, to love people, and to make people's situations better. That's the simplicity of the gospel. And that's why, week after week, I call out this crazy, crazy crap. But that's all I've got this week. And hey, catch you guys again next week. See ya!